find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we're going to talk to the author of, you're going to love this. This is, this is such a unique title for a book, Divine Messy Human. You know, I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's a very unusual title, but how many days do I feel like that just fits? Especially messy human, you know, <laughs> but divine messy human. I like that. I like that. I'm really, really, really curious why she picked that title and what the heck it means, but I like it. I like it a lot. And and she's all the way from Australia, and, and it's a normal time of day where I am, but it's like 5.30 in the morning where she is right now. So we're going to find out all kinds of things, and we're going to meet Amanda Kate. Amanda, it's awesome to have you with me today. Oh, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here with you, Nikki. You know, I, I feel so bad for you that it's so early, but you tell me you're, some, you're, you're a morning person, so yes. you, you're telling me that you're okay with it being about 30 in the morning. Over yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> and and that that your dog Zeus is sleeping behind you. He's yes. good to go. So see, he we're, is. we're all good. We're all yes, good. All right. Well, if well if he wakes up and says hi, we're we're good with that too. So we're we're, we're okay with <laughs> animals in the background. So, <laughs> so you know, I've been looking forward to this cause, and and I have started reading. Um, your book. I've only read parts, but I, there's there's all kinds of neat lines that I like, and I I can't oh. wait to tell people about holding, and and you to tell us more about it once we get there. Yeah. But let me let me tell the the listeners a little bit more about you. She is a transformational kinesiology coach. This is this is interesting. I fascinated with kinesiology too. She is the author of Divine Messy Human, a spiritual guide to prioritizing internal truths over external influence. That is quite a title. She's a kinesiologist, a mentor, an archetypal life coach, a mother, and more. A recovering people pleaser. See, see, I yeah, been there. <laughs> Whew, recovering. That's the place to be with that. And a self-flagellator, she walks the path straddling the divine and messy daily, always growing, developing, and learning new ways of being to hopefully one day leave the earth better than she found it. She lives in Melbourne, Australia with her twin flame, I'm I'm guessing your husband, correct? Um, (laughs) Her children his children, and a dog named Zeus. You know, this sounds like it should be the end of the song. <laughs> I should have said that with my music in that room. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dog named Zeus part that gets people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like I said, I, I forget the name of the song, but that just that sounds like a song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But yeah, and like I said, I I am 
I, I just I started reading the book I, the other night it was I, I wasn't quite tired enough when I got ready to go to sleep and, and I picked up my Kindle and I started reading oh. and I um like I said there's there's just sections that were jumping out of me as I was reading it so it's um it's interesting it's interesting I'm I'm enjoying it so far so oh, this is thank this you. is good oh that's but wonderful okay, to hear. <laughs> First question, divine, messy, human. Why? Why did you call it that? I think because for so long I denied my divinity. I, As a child I loved you know, going to church and being in that sacred space and I guess it got less cool as I got older and um, I started to also notice, I guess, that being the same you know, person before they walked in um, and and that the disparity I guess between what they were preaching versus what they were living and oh my, yeah. it kind of turned yeah it turned me away from it um, and then of course I was so busy trying to hide my messiness to paper over the cracks to deny the fact that I did not have my shit together. I just didn't. I was struggling day to day and trying to pretend that everything was wonderful, trying to pretend my marriage was fabulous and as good as it looked from the outside. And I was trying to keep up that facade of, you know, the, the perfect life, so to speak. You know, the, the two children, the beautiful home, the husband who's rich and successful and and it made my human existence really, really challenging. Now, as I reconnected to the divine within myself and to the divine in all of us and started to acknowledge and accept the fact that as a human being, I am going to be messy as hell. I'm not always going to have stuff together. I'm not always going to get it right. And the more I could admit that, not just to myself, but to others, the easier my human experience got and the more I was able to tap into grace and forgiveness and to accept the shadows and the light within life. And so that's really where the title came from. Originally it was just going to be called Messily Human, but I realized the divine is such an important part of our existence that it just needed to go first. Okay. Do you, okay, two questions. Mm. Do you think that social media makes us feel that we have to seem more perfect in our lives? Oh, look, to be honest, um, I'm in my mid-40s, well, so I was doing it well before social media. <laughs> okay. well, you, I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling about that. But so many people are yeah. now on social media pretending yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, come on, let's be serious. People, people put the perfect moment. They either whine on social media or they put the perfect moments on social media. Yeah, know? absolutely. And I think I think that definitely adds to it. You know, over the last you know ten, fifteen years, especially, I think in the beginning we were just you know it was a great way to check in with people from 
you know, especially for me living in the UK and having my family and some friends in Australia, which is where I was originally from, that it, it narrowed that distance. And then when we moved from the UK back to Australia again, it narrowed the distance. But I do believe over, you know, it has evolved into this, into this competition and comparative it's it's so much easier to put yourself into comparative suffering. Oh, they've got it better than me. My life's not that great or they're doing this and right. I'm failing. And I think it does make it so much easier because it's in our face all the time. Right, right. Well, mm-hmm. and, and especially like like people posting selfies to get yeah. self-validation, you know, oh, or, you know, any time they get a new something, they have to post it and show it off, you yeah. know, you know, or or you'll know somebody and they'll post something. You'll be you'll you'll be like, uh, hold on, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying everybody does that, but there's a lot of people that. Okay, there's there's a good number of people yeah. that it it does seem like a competition. You know, they have oh. to post every everything in such a way that it's only the good stuff they post you know and it's it's a it's a a very filtered view of their life i i post me the good the bad the whatever you know um and then there's other people that that seems to be their their place to vent and complain about whatever Mm. You know, yeah. So um, it, it's interesting how people choose to use social media. <laughs> you know? Oh, it definitely okay, is, and I think I think it adds to, as I say, that comparative suffering and that that patriarchal ideal that that part of the way that we stay, I guess, controllable as a society is by keeping us in want and in lack and in competition, rather than that mm-hmm. whole idea of the rising tide raises all the boats, and the more that we can lift ourselves up the more we can naturally lift other people up and the more we can be a guiding light to show people how to lift themselves up. And I think that's, I guess, the ideal place to go. Right, right. So do do we do things in such a way to help build people up or do we do things in such a way to spread the victim mentality? Sadly, that that's what seems to be sometimes. Okay, see, they're beautiful. Okay, I like it. Um, not the victim mentality. I hate that. But anyway. Um, okay, and other other question. Um, it, it seems like you were you were noticing the hypocrisy with uh, certain people. Old so often. Oh yeah, yeah. Throw me crazy as a kid and and into my teens and still does. Um, so that that didn't. What kind of a, a impact did that have on you? It didn't. It didn't make it easier for you. It seems like it made it. It, it didn't make it easier for you to be less judgmental on yourself. Oh, definitely not. Because I think there was always such a pressure on what will the neighbours think or what will they think or there was this this pressure from very young to make sure that, you know, we were doing the right thing. 
And that right thing changes depending on which group of people you're with, of course, whether it be with family, whether it be with church friends, whether it be with... And so it was very much almost about being the chameleon and making sure that everybody else thinks your life is okay, not just that you think your life is okay. That was certainly not the narrative I lived to. And I think when I then met my ex-husband he was very much the same it was all about what will people think and what would people think of you when and and then there was a whole heap of I guess the projection and perception aspect that comes into that because nobody asked nobody said oh what how would you prefer me to behave right now we just looked at you know what we thought was expected and what I what I really did notice was that especially as I got older, I think as a child, you just accept it and you go, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just the way things are. But as I right. got older and started questioning things, it's like, hang on, you're saying this and you're doing that. And I was noticing right. more and more the words and actions not lining up. And being right. somebody who is empathic, who, and this was part of what created my uh, people-pleasing and my self-flagellation, the, the beating myself up in my head over and over constantly, a lot of that was based in this feeling that energetic disconnection between the actions and the deeds, the words and what was actually playing out. There was right. the, I love you, but nothing you ever do is good enough. And I'd be going, but hang on, that doesn't add up. You know? Right. <laughs> I really, really love that you do this, but then I hate that you do this. And they'd be two sides of the same coin. And this is my favorite thing about you. And this is my least favorite thing about you. And again, they'd be the same thing. And so there was this real tearing apart or what felt like a tearing apart of my personality because there was these constantly changing goalposts of how we were or how I was expected to behave both inside the house and then outside the house. And outside the house was different, whether it be with, say, his family or our friends or friends that came through me or friends that came through him. And so there was, I just became more and more and more aware of it. And and the then the tearing apart as we would leave those social interactions of everything that I'd done wrong, everything that wasn't quite good enough, everything that I'd said that I should not have said. Now I understand this is what is referred to as emotional abuse. But at the time, it was just my normal. It was just the way that I lived. And but the more that I noticed it and the more that it became this disparate chasm between I guess truth and perception right. it, it just became harder and harder to live with right you know you know what's funny is as you were telling <clears throat> telling that initial part of the story the the fact that seeing other people's hypocrisy didn't pose a red flag to you that you shouldn't judge yourself made me immediately see something 
from myself as a kid and as a teenager and even in my 20s that I should have seen in myself, right, and Mm. didn't for years and years and years. And which actually, the the fact that I saw that so quickly now is is a big revelation to me of how far I've come, Mm. you know, because I I didn't see that for years and decades, right? But, I mean, I instantly saw that as you were telling your story. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, that's that's amazing that I lived the very same thing, never saw that. Yes. And should have. I should but have. Because it's that. our normal. And I think that's that's the key is the fact that this is normal yeah. behavior when you're growing up like that, when you're in yeah. those relationships. And you go, well, this is just the way life is. This is just the way I'm supposed to expect it. But then as you exactly. as you grow and as you get exposed to different things, you know, for me it was my turning point of finding kinesiology and starting to go into, I guess, the energetic psychology into the body's energy system, into the mind-body-spirit connection, into the way that emotions impact our health. As I started going into that journey it just became more and more and more clear because I was learning all of these different things that I was going, oh, my God, and that, this is how, you know, I guess other people interact or other people speak to each other. You know, when we did this work on aggressive versus passive versus assertive behaviour, I had never really understood what passive aggressive was before because right. that was just the way people communicated in my world. But right. learning exactly. about it, I was like, oh, my God. And I'd heard about it. I mean, I knew what aggression was and I knew what passive passivity was, but I never really was clear on what passive aggressive was until then. And I'm like, oh, this makes so well, much sense. <laughs> Didn't we think we knew what it was? I didn't even think I knew what it was. People would talk about it and I'd be like, uh, like I'd almost be too ashamed to admit that I didn't get it. But even with anxiety, I didn't realize that for years I suffered with anxiety. But I didn't know what it was because it was such a normal feature in my body. Right. That 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 was just me. And it wasn't well, until I started not feeling anxious that I went, oh, my God, I've been anxious half my life. Well, that's like I was, I was telling a friend of mine because, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine whose, whose mother has studied all these medical conditions, okay, mm-hmm. um, including one that I have, okay? And, and so she, she feels that she understands what this condition is that I have. Mm-hmm. Yet, she thought that I would be able to do some work working for her. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was to actually do this work and I had to lift, I, I'm under restrictions from a doctor not to lift mm-hmm. anything over 20 pounds, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of crazy, but if if something heavy falls against my chest or I try to pick up something that's too heavy and there's a pull in my chest, Mm -hmm. um, 
I have I have all kinds of aneurysms in my chest, mm-hmm. in my aorta, and if one of those is to tear, I I could die within minutes. Yeah. Okay. So so she feels that she understands the condition of an aortic dissection. Okay, because she studied it. Mm. Obviously, she doesn't. Okay. Um, so there's there's hearing something, there's studying something, then there's actually having it, and un, and studying it, and understanding it because you live it every day, mm. and yeah. you're studying it because you're studying a condition because you're a nurse. You know, that's two yeah. very different studying and understanding cafes, you know. Well, I think I think so, you've summed it up beautifully, the difference between having information versus knowledge versus wisdom. You know, yeah. I had the information about what anxiety was. Right. Then as I deepened my knowledge, you know, or anxiety, emotional abuse, you know, we can, I could probably list a whole heap of different things there, passive aggressiveness communication styles I had information about them but as I deepened that into knowledge and starting to understand the information and then was able to translate it into my own lived experience my own cellular wisdom at a deeper level and actually embody that knowledge into myself Mm -hmm. and understand all of the behaviors that that then created all of the paths I'd taken, it went from the information to the knowledge to the wisdom. And I think that's what you're explaining there. You've got the wisdom of the disease because you're living with it. You understand the pros, the cons. You've got all the information. You've got the knowledge, but you've also got the wisdom of living with it, of needing to, um, I guess, alter your life to some extent Oh, yeah. To be able to live with it and to right. keep yourself safe. So, yeah, I think that's a beautiful description of it. Yeah. It's two very different things. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. I didn't I didn't intend to go quite that far with that question, but when, when those two questions popped into my head after you were explaining, I was like, Oh, let's let's go a little deeper with this. <laughs> but I think it's a beautiful a beautiful example because it is one of those lived examples where where you can so beautifully illustrate I had a lot of information about my life and I had a lot of knowledge. I know a lot of things about it, a lot of things. But I have very little wisdom about what of that knowledge and information I haven't truly embodied within my form and what I've chosen not to embody. And I think that is a really big part of our learning and development is a lot of people out there, we are not short of information. We can Google whatever we want. Right. You know, we can. We can. We don't, we're not short of information. Now, how we understand and use that information all varies from person to person but embodying it as wisdom I think very few people do and I think that is the beauty of life coaching of kinesiology of somatic therapies of all of that stuff is actually understanding our own innate bodily wisdom to get back in touch with who and what we are as a body mind spirit as a physical form and a soul self 
And as we develop that wisdom and increase that wisdom, our human experience gets easier. The way we interact with other humans gets easier. The more grace we extend to other humans gets easier. Right. Right. Well, I, I see any search engine, Google, whatever, mm. as that's a starting point to yeah. get surface information and then dig into it. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's step one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, what... Curiosity is one of my favorite things. I, I uh-huh. You know what? When... When they were handing out curiosity, I, I easily got a triple dose. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is, is the role of curiosity in healing for us? For me, it is probably one of the biggest parts of it. You don't know what you don't know until you know different. And often, as I said, you know, we're swimming in that water. It is normal. We don't know that we're wet because we're in it. And it's not until we start, I guess, lifting parts of ourselves out of the water or until people start telling us that we're swimming in water that we start to understand it because it's so normal. It's we're used to being wet, so how do we know what dry is until we've, you know... (laughs) taken a towel and, and dried ourselves off, so to speak. And the cultural water we swim in, the societal water we swim in, the family that we swim with, the friends, the, everybody has an effect on us. And it is fascinating when you start to unpack it. You know, even when you start looking at some of the, I guess, the, the stuff that's coming out, whether it be you know, woke culture or more about the systemic racism or we don't know what we don't know until we know differently and until we can find out from, say, other people's perspectives. But even within ourselves, my upbringing was normal. My marriage was my normal. And it wasn't until I started getting very physically sick because of the emotional and psychological abuse and I'm and my parents weren't abusive by the way I'm talking about the husband there just in case people link them together and get the wrong idea my parents are very loving they still are they're you know beautiful humans and also knowing what we now know through Gabor Mate's work on trauma as well as you know some other top researchers our family of origin do create trauma within our system Anything that our body stores as less than nourishing and nurturing is traumatic if we store it as such. And there was a lot of things that I stored as as trauma in my body. And I think what I needed to do was really get curious about why I was so unwell. You know, why my physical body, normal doctors, Western doctors, allopathic doctors could not find anything wrong with me. They said I was fine, and the only answer they had was antidepressants, which I knew was not the answer to my physical problems. Not one of them asked me about my relationships. Not one of them asked me about my support structures. And it wasn't until I got curious about it. I got curious about what other people were telling me. I got curious about, well, what else could it be? What else could cause it? And started asking more and more questions That's when I started finding, 
not even answers necessarily, but new questions to ask, which gave me a deeper understanding of then why I was asking that question. And yes, some of them obviously come up with answers because I know it sounds crazy to ask questions to get more questions. But I think especially when we start getting into the body wisdom, the soul, it, it does feel like there's only more questions to ask and the questions get better. Right, right. Well, the thing is, sometimes you have to keep asking questions, yeah. but but there are questions that you ask that prompt other questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have to dig for the answers sometimes. Yes. You know, it's, that's the nature of finding, you know, because, well, no matter what question you start with, it's not a one-size-fits-all. One question isn't going to get the answer for everybody. Yeah. It's exactly. it's just not, yeah. you know. And that's why I say but, that our inner toddlers run free, you know. The, why is that? Why is that? How does that happen? How does that work? <laughs> I love thinking about it being my inner toddler, just being able to ask all of those whys and whats and hows. Well, and the thing is, too, not everybody, I learned this as a kid, through, because my, my dad can't ask a comprehensive question to save himself. He never has been mm-hmm. able to. You know, when, when I was a kid, and, and he he was the one that conducted the Bible studies that, that I was always stuck in, and he just, whenever we had a review, the man could not come up with questions. He could not do it. Mm-hmm. And finally, we got to the point, because whenever we had a meeting of any kind in the study, we we always had to do it as a family ahead of time. <gasps> so I had to sit yeah. through his questions twice. Okay. Nobody should have to sit through his questions twice. It's just it's inhumane. Yeah. So we fi- he finally got to the point where he says, how about you come up with questions for us? <laughs> okay, well, at least I know they're going to be good questions, you know. So, yeah. So you know, I was I was just kind of, you know, destined to have my own radio show. So I got to ask questions. Ooh, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know. So I, you know, I have to have my own radio show. So I get to ask questions. Ooh. You know, otherwise I'm sitting at home listening to somebody else's show, going, "Why aren't you asking me that question?" You know. Yeah. But absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. Well, and and I'll. I'll sit home watching like the news or whatever, and they're interviewing somebody. I'm like, why don't, why don't you ask blah 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 blah? You know, so they never ask my questions. They ask dumb questions, but you know, <laughs> that's a, you know, so. oh well, such is how it works sometimes. It is so absolutely. I, that's just how it is, right? It is now. There's I, I there's there's a quote I have to read from your book because I want to ask mm-hmm. you another question. Um, you talk about something called holing. There's mm-hmm. healing, and then there's holing, and and for the audience, since they're not looking at my notes, that's spelled W H O L I N G, which is that's interesting. I, I, kind of had to stop and I went, hold on, hold on. What, 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 what is this? And she's got a whole chapter in here about that. And it's a term that she came across in the book, Potentiate Your DNA. 
<laughs> I <laughs> I had to go over all these words because I'm I'm like I got I got I got to pronounce this stuff right. <laughs> okay, and so it was in Saul Luckman's book, and he he explains, and I'm going to have her explain really explain this to you. But I I, I have to, you know, since I get to host the show, I want to read this to you. It says healing. And then in quote, I mean in parentheses, holding must not be confused with simple curing. Curing is designed to make the problem go away. No questions asked and no insights gained. Healing is a very different activity. My ears really perked up when I saw this. I, I just mm. love this. True healing embraces the problem which is actually a teaching tool employed by our higher self as a way of integrating and being transformed by it. Curing focuses on symptoms without realizing they are spiritual messages. Healing is a body-mind-spirit phenomenon involving an increase in awareness that takes the form of transformational Step on our evolutionary journey of conscious personal mastery. And then she literally, I'm not just saying this, but in the book she says, boom. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny because I would have said that. But she put it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I write so, the way I speak. <laughs> I mean, she does. Yes, I like that. <laughs> so I like this, okay? So she says, the healing journey is about going back and picking up all the pieces of self that we have suppressed, repressed, oppressed, hidden away, and cut off ourselves due to shame, embarrassment, trauma, or other life events. Subconsciously, we hid parts of ourselves to ensure that we fit in and can be embraced on our by our tribe but often do ourselves a disservice by not showing others or acknowledging to ourselves the true light of our being. I, you know, I love this part. I had mm -hmm. to share that verbatim out of the book. And that's, that's mm -hmm. only, what, chapter two? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think it's early on. <laughs> But I, it, it, it's very near the front. It's only like page 10 or something. Um, that's why I could, I could find it the last second to show you. So, okay, tell us, tell us why you shared that all the way up front. Because like I said, I, I absolutely love that. So tell us why that was so important that you wanted to share it all the way up at the front. And tell us more about that. I think it's the fact that it is so integral to our journey if we truly want to get well if we want to live our truest most beautiful most abundant most vital life we can't just look for cures and that's what doctors do they want us to be not sick if you look at their parameters that they do their blood tests based on they right. are not looking at healthy and vital they are looking at markers of illness so if you are on the lower end 
you're not quite sick enough for us to care yet. So, you know, go away until you're in the negatives or whatever it is. And I've been taking my results to naturopaths and the doctors are going, you're fine. And the naturopaths are going, well, hang on. No, you're not. You need help with this, this and this. These are the ranges we look at as being health, not not sick. Whereas doctors are looking for not sick. They are looking to get rid of your symptoms. So, you know, let's use an example of you, I don't know, bash your knee and all of a sudden it swells up. Well, there's a reason your body has inflamed that area. It's like wrapping it in bubble wrap to protect it while it heals. Now, if you right. think about inflammation through the body, which we often get because we've been eating foods that are not whole foods, they're processed and they're effectively dead energy because they've had the life taken out of them. We're surrounded by chemicals. We walk down the road and we're breathing in exhaust fumes and plastics and all sorts of you know stuff that should not be in our body. Our body will have inflammatory markers because it is processing stuff that should not be there. Now, it's the same with our emotional state. It's the same with our psychological state. It is the same with our mental state, our spiritual state, our sexual, financial, relational states. Everything that we go through affects us within our physical body. And when we are just looking for a cure, i.e. to get rid of symptoms that you're having, we're not looking at what's causing those symptoms. So you can get rid of the inflammation. I can give you an anti-inflammatory, no problem. But why is that inflammation there? What is the stress in your body that is causing that inflammation? Almost all of my stress was caused by emotional and psychological distress and abuse. Well, it's Almost like, all. do you have an obvious symptom mm. or are you well? Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, like, and we're not asking those questions. After after I had my dissection, okay, which mm. I, I literally almost died, okay, yeah. and and I had to be taken in for emergency surgery, and I was in a coma and in the hospital for a month, and I've had two major open heart surgeries as follow up, and and so I I now have four doctors that that manage all this for me, mm. right? So I have my vascular surgeon, my thoracic surgeon, my vascular doctor. Mm-hmm. and my cardiologist and, of course, yeah. my general practitioner. And, and I, I told him, I said, okay, now hold on. Can you tell me what what is the function of each of these people? You know, if mm-hmm. I have a problem, which one of them do I go to? Because yeah. <laughs> with all of these people, I don't know who addresses what. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know I have appointments with all of these people throughout the year, some more than once. Now, thank goodness we have everybody down to pretty much once a year now. I said, yeah. but tell me what what each of these people does so mm-hmm. I know who to call when I have problems. Yeah. You know, because it's hard when four people are dealing with one thing, you know, mm-hmm. to know who to call. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, wow, you know, that's insane. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's you know, do do you have a specific symptom that's a problem? that we need to deal with immediately or is the body actually well and very few doctors deal with are you actually a well person you know so and they're not looking to get um, you to health 
no. <laughs> you know, I mean, and without without getting too controversial, it's probably a whole another thing. You know, the pharmaceutical companies have said that their mission statement is to have every person on at least one medication. Yeah. You know, they're a profit-making company. And so you look at that and that's not a system of wellness. That is a system of illness and sickness. Yeah. And and yeah. what we're, what are, we're talking about in terms of this holding aspect is getting the mind, body and spirit in alignment, allowing your innate bodily wisdom to help you heal where possible. And I'm not saying modern medicine is not needed. It is absolutely, you know, you, you're a testament to that. One of my girlfriends is testament to that. If she didn't have, you know, the intervention from doctors this year, she would not be with us now. It is necessary, and I'm not dismissing that. What I am saying is, as well as being not sick, you can also aim for health and vitality and abundance and wellness. Right, right. Well, both both need to be mm-hmm. there, and we yeah. we need both of those. Absolutely. You know. Well, that's when I, I used to work for a chiropractor, and mm-hmm. it's it's like you know do. Like if if you have because I I used to have horrible horrible migraines mm-hmm. and I used to have them about five times a week, you know. So do do you just take a pill for the migraines, or do you try to find the root cause of them and mm-hmm. go and take care of that? You know. Yes. So basically, are you putting are you putting a band aid on the problem, or are you mm-hmm. trying to find the root cause of the problem and go yep. there? Yeah. And what doctors were trying to do for me was they were um, they were looking to use antidepressants as right. a band-aid. Right. Well, and that's because they didn't know what it was caused by. That seems to be the go-to. If they mm. can't find anything else, you need an antidepressant. Yeah. You know, with- yeah. Oh good heavens, that's yeah. not the way to go. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but wow. Mm. All right, you've got there. There's like eighty different things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> um, and and sadly, we don't have ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to come back again and have another chat. So <laughs> yeah. We, I think I think I want to have an entire show and just talk about intuition with you. I really do. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's that is by far one of my favorite topics. I love talking about intuition mm. and encouraging people to like develop their intuition. Yes. So I think I think we're going to save all of that for another show. Yeah. Um, how about defining? We've only got about fifteen minutes. How about defining trauma? Because you you've already talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. defining trauma and how it impacts our body? Mm. So trauma, as I mentioned before, is anything that we store in our body, whether it be as actions, behaviors, memories, that is less than nourishing and nurturing to ourselves. So what I find traumatic, you may not find as traumatic. You might be like, oh, that's absolutely fine. For me, it will be dependent on what I store as traumatic. And there's some amazing research out um, that's done by that at the moment. But what it means is that we will often create behaviors 
based around those trauma patterns. And the trauma often is feeling unsafe, feeling unlovable, feeling unworthy. They tend to be the really, really big ones. Because what that does is that is not allowing us to be fully accepted by our tribe. And this isn't going to cultural appropriation tribe. This is going back to when we as humans were first on the planet, we were tribal creatures. We lived in tribes. And if we were not accepted by that tribe, we would be cast out into the wilderness and we would not have a great chance of survival because of the safety in numbers. So basically our brain still even though we're in the modern day and we're relatively safe, our brain still goes into this is live or die. And so we create these behaviors that allow us to live supposedly harmoniously within our tribe. But those behaviors aren't always resourceful behaviors. You know, my people pleasing was not a resourceful behavior. And it's interesting. I talk to my children about it and I say, you know, who are your favorite teachers at school? And they go, oh, this one and this one. And okay, so why? And they'll tell me all of the reasons. You know, they just have fun with the students. They enjoy it. They're interesting. All of this kind of stuff. And I said, do you think they want to be a teacher? And they're like, yeah, you can tell when they come in the classroom. You go, okay, so who are your least favorite teachers? Oh, so-and-so because they're grumpy and they shout at us and they're this, that and the other. And you go, do you think they want to be a teacher? Oh, probably not. It feels like they hate it when they come in. It's just a simple example because most people have been to school and understand teachers that seemingly love their job and those that don't. Now, when you go down to people-pleasing, I was doing the job that I thought other people wanted me to do. I was doing the things to try and make them happy through my perception of what I thought they wanted me to do to make them happy. But already I was so far from the truth because I was putting my idea of what I wanted to be happy into them, assuming it's what they wanted, looking back at myself going, you're not providing that for me and going into this really poor behavior pattern. And, you know, falling on my sword and martyring myself and being a victim and all of those things, being reactive and defensive. And because I was setting myself up for failure from the very beginning because I was putting everybody else up on a pedestal, busting my ass trying to make them happy and failing because I wasn't the person who could make them happy. And so it's really interesting when you start to look at that, that is actually a trauma behavior. I am, I am working within my trauma patterning and basically keeping that trauma going. Now, as I've done more and more work, I'm less of a people pleaser, but <laughs> funnily enough, I probably make more people happy because <laughs> I'm living, I'm living my life and I'm being an example to others about what can happen when you live your life. And that is a much more positive place to see it than doing all of these things that people may not even want to try and make them happy. Right. And not well, living to my truth. Setting a much better example for them too. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't living to my truth. I wasn't living to my soul truth. 
I was doing what I perceived other people wanted me to do. Right. And so I wasn't even close to the truth, let alone my truth of it. And I look at the way, you know, my children have watched me because I don't I don't talk to them about all the work that I've done, but they've watched me change. They've watched me go from this angry, defensive, sad, broken or feeling broken woman into this woman who has written a book and started a business and, you know, actually done stuff and become happier in the process. Right. So I don't shout nearly ever anymore because I don't need to because I'm not angry and suppressing all of my emotions. If I've got a problem, I'll talk to you about it and then it's done. Right. It's resolved. There's not all of these loose ends. And often, and I said it to my partner when we first got together, funnily enough, when I used to argue with my ex-husband, he would want, well, I don't do that. Give me examples of when I've done that. So I would then need to remember all of our past arguments, all of the things he used to do to be able to give the examples. And then I would give the examples and he'd go, you're always bringing up the past. Why are you bringing up the past? But he'd be asking for examples that have made me mad and then telling me when I bring up the examples and prove to him that behavior is a repetitive behavior, then it would be, oh, but, you know, you're always bringing up the past, stop living in the past, you've got to forget all of that stuff. Well, I can't forget it because you want the examples. And I said to my partner, one of the things that I love is that I don't have to use all of that brain space, remembering all of that crap, because it's not important. And we don't need to keep dredging it up because I don't need examples because what we do when we argue is we come to a resolution. We finish it. We come to a place where even if we don't agree with one another, we are coming to a place of mutual love, mutual respect and mutual, you know, kindness. We don't need to agree. And it's such a different way of of being in a relationship because I can feel my body in much more relaxed state because I'm not keeping this tally and these examples held with me, which just kept the anger going really. But I needed them there because I'd be asked for them to back up what was going on. And so you can see in that, being able to let go of that trauma, being able to let go of all those arguments. And now in this state where every, and I mean, look, we we argue so rarely. It's quite funny, actually, when I think it used to be a daily occurrence, multiple times (laughs) a day, to going, you know, we can go months without an argument. And when we do argue, it's more of a discussion because we've got different points of view, which we should have because we're different people. Right. You can see in those two examples the difference in the trauma patterning. I don't need that trauma patterning now because I feel safe. I feel worthy. I feel like I'm enough. Back in my old relationship, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel worthy. And I certainly didn't feel enough. And I needed to hold all of that stuff in, which takes effort and energy and pressure and stress. It's no wonder I had chronic fatigue trying to hold all of that emotional baggage within my human form. Right, right. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. So you've 
kind of hit on these things, but how has your idea of love and relationships changed as you've learned more about yourself? I know that I can definitely love deeper because I love myself deeper. And look, I hate the languaging, by the way. I'm just going to put it out there about that. It, it feels very shaming often the way that people do it on social media in the way that they're saying, you know, you can only love yourself or you can only love others as much as you love yourself and you can only allow yourself to be loved as much as you love yourself. Now, I, I understand that it's true and also as we are learning to love ourselves, it is a process. It is not this shame, well, because you don't love yourself, you're not going to be able to receive love, so tough luck, princess, get on with it. You know, it feels very shaming the way that it's often stated, and I get that a lot of this is spiritual paradox, and we've got to go into a nuanced discussion about it, and people are wanting a screen grab. But I guess this is why I wanted to start the conversation in that way, in saying that as we develop our love for self, as we start to understand our unresourceful behaviours and why they are there and we are able to give ourselves more compassion and empathy for the good and bad within us, I think the more that does open us up in our companionship with others and in our communion with them, whether it be friends, whether it be lovers, whether it be family members, I think that it, it, it opens us up to allowing more of that good stuff in. And it's a process. So in terms of my love and relationships, because I can extend myself more grace, more empathy, more compassion, I can do the same to them. And I'm able to look when they are being unresourceful and go, I wonder what's behind that. Because I know when I'm being unresourceful, it's not because I'm wanting to hurt anybody else or, you know, yell at them or start an argument or anything. It's because there's something in me that's hurting. There's something in me that needs some love and compassion. And so now when I see other people behaving in that way, I can start instead of going straight to they're being nasty, they're trying to hurt me, I can go to what is going on under the surface. Very true. Mm. So how did your relationship paradigm shift? I think it was that understanding that, you know, when we're, when we're looking for relationships, <laughs> we so often create this list of what we want in the other person. You know, the, mm -hmm. the traditional one is, you know, what is it for women, tall, dark and handsome? And for, you know, men, it's <laughs> what, blonde, busty and, you know, whatever else. You know, they're the, they're the stereotypical, you know, start of your list. Now, I'm not saying mine was that right. at all. But, you know, we make this list of what we expect the other person to do for us, how we expect the other person to behave, the qualities we want in another person. My paradigm shift was... How do I want to be in this relationship? How do I want to show up? What is the best version of me that I can offer this person? How can I, in this relationship, when the honeymoon stage is over and, you know, life gets real, how can I show up in a way that still shows my 
love and compassion and connection to this person? How can I be the best me within it? So it was switching that paradigm from looking at what somebody else could offer me, which again is that the modern day, more patriarchal thing. What can you give me? What's in it for me? You know, the good old whiffum thing. I now look at what can I do for you? How can I serve you to the best of my ability? Now, sometimes the best of my ability will be saying, no, I can't do that and that's not okay. And still, I look at how can I be of service here? Awesome. One of the things that I've, I've long said on the show is when you're making your list, make it two columns and list what you bring to the relationship. Don't yeah. forget your value when you're figuring yeah. out what you want in a minute. Because <clears throat> how many people do that? You know, yeah. They list what they want, but they don't list what they bring and what they offer in the relationship. Mm. So I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're the first person that's ever said that. I like that. <laughs> See? There we go. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. I'm pleased it resonates because for me, that was what allowed me to find the loving relationship that I've got now. It was life-changing. Awesome. I like that. Like I said, I've I've never had somebody else say that. That is so cool. Kindred spirit, Nikki. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) See? I'm just, I'm a night person. You're a morning person. Other than that, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) And different sides of the world. <laughs> yeah. So how can listeners find out more about you? The easiest place is at amandakate.com.au. So again, for especially those in the States, remember the .au on the end for Australia. So amandakate.com.au. And all my social links are there. It's just the easiest place really to go find me. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I will... Um, have all your information on the show page and a replay of today's show. <clears throat> the replay will post right after the show finishes up uh, tonight. And I will definitely have you back. We've got to talk about intuition next. Ah, intuition. Definitely. I'm going to have a little talking about intuition. Yes, <laughs> we, can, we can get juicy with that one, definitely. I'd love to. I'd be honored. Oh, like I said, I love talking about intuition and helping other people that haven't developed things yet to um, develop. I don't know what I do about intuition. <laughs> oh. I'd be in deep Oh, absolutely. <laughs> definitely, definitely would be uh, definitely doing good. I'm gonna I'm gonna call the the um, show page today. Uh, LoveCoachJourney.com/slash/holding is what I wanted to be. W-H-O-L-I-N-G. So the replay will be there, along with all of her links. I will have those for you. So thank you so much for being here today. I really oh, enjoyed you. it. And we will, we will definitely talk about intuition next time. So we'll work that out. Sounds awesome. wonderful. Thank you so much. And listen, I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio.